Well, friends, um, it is Good Friday. Uh, there's a reason it's called Good Friday. We believe it is a good day. Um, but it is also a confronting day as we confront the reality of the first Easter 2,000 years ago. Um, uh, what we're going to do this morning is hear that story again. And in order to help us to do that, we're going to sing a song. Uh, it's, a, it's a lovely song, um, uh, but it's also, again, a confronting song, a, a song that speaks um, of the reality that Jesus uh, bled and suffered and died for us and for our brokenness and sin. Uh, if you would like to take the opportunity to um, just stay seated and reflect on it as the words come up on the screen, please do that. Uh, if you'd like to join in and you know the song, feel very welcome to do that as well. Uh, it's called Alas and Did My Saviour Bleed. Alas and did my Saviour bleed And did my sovereign die Would he devote that sacred head For such a one as I was it for sins that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. My God, why would you shed your blood so pure and undefiled to make a sinful one like me your chosen precious child? Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker 
We're going to hear from God's Word now, the story of the first Easter from Matthew's Gospel. Secured. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Jesus, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Well, friends, we are thinking this morning, as I said earlier, about imagining a world without justice. Uh, Because if there's one thing that can really get us going, isn't there? If there's one thing that can really get us going... Uh, It's when we feel that there's been an injustice done towards us, right? It's when we feel there's been an injustice done towards us or perhaps an injustice done towards someone we love. Uh, There's there's an Aussie movie that really captures this so uh, powerfully. Uh, Many of you will know it. It's the 1997 classic, The Castle, right? Oh, here we go. Just... Okay, we're on. (laughs) Uh, The castle, it's a story of the Kerrigan family, if you know the story, uh, who live uh, in a house next to an airport that no one else would love, but for them it's their castle and the government try and compulsorily acquire uh, their home. And Daryl Kerrigan, if if you've seen the movie, he's not about to roll over. Uh, He ropes in a well-meaning but rather incompetent lawyer whose argument consists of the famous line, it's just the constitution, it's Marbo, it's justice, it's law, it's the vibe. Uh, but they end up, you know, that doesn't go too well, they end up getting a bit more help and it goes all the way to the high court and they win. And we love it, right? They, we love uh, seeing justice done. We love uh, seeing injustice paid for. We long for it. Uh, But, of course, a feel-good story about a man in his house is one thing, isn't it? Uh, But we all know, we all know that the injustice in this world goes much deeper than that. goes much deeper than that, from uh, personal tragedies that we all experience 
at one time or another, uh, to global injustice and evil and inequality from your backyard to Brussels. We long for justice. And imagining a world without it, well, that's a horrible thought, right? A world where wicked people can do wicked things and get away with it. Uh, Where rich can oppress the poor, where the powerful can abuse the weak. Well, friends, what you find when you come to the Bible is that no one cares more about justice than God. Uh, The one who created everything, the one who created everything to live in freedom and peace, cares passionately about his world and he hates the injustice and evil and all the junk that has messed up his world. We read this uh, one uh, part that sort of brings this out really clearly in the Bible. A verse in Proverbs 17 is really clear on this. Acquitting the guilty... And condemning the innocents, the Lord detests them both. See what he's saying there? People getting away with evil, innocent people getting punished, uh, the Lord detests them. God cares passionately about justice. When I care about injustice, it's really usually injustice that's done towards me. Uh, I suspect most of us are the same. It takes us a little bit more... Um, sort of ability to get out of ourselves in order to think about injustice done to other people. But God cares, the God of the Bible cares passionately for the whole world that he lovingly created. No one is more deeply concerned to bring about justice than him. So friends, uh, when we come to the first Easter story, now it's kind of surprising that this kind of injustice... <laughs> is exactly what we see there, isn't it? It's exactly what we see. The story of the Bible, it's all focused on the events of Easter. It's all focused on Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection that we celebrate this weekend. But right at the heart of the story of the Bible, right at the heart of Christianity, is a huge miscarriage of justice. We read it earlier. Um, Jesus is the ultimate innocent person, and Pilate, uh, um, uh, Judas knew it, right? He knew he had sinned big time. He, had betra- he said it, I have betrayed innocent blood. Uh, it's not just that no one had ever lived like Jesus, no one had ever had and ever has since, not just that he was so full of compassion and courage and wisdom, Uh, It's not just that he'd never done anything to deserve punishment. All that is true. But in the biggest picture of the Bible, uh, Jesus isn't just one extraordinary person who managed somehow to live a really great life. Uh, There's something much deeper going on. Jesus claimed not just to be another man. He claimed to be the Son of God, equal with his heavenly Father. God in the flesh. God entering into his creation, the great king who had come to set up a kingdom, who had come to finally bring justice to the world. And here he is, this great king, the son of God. And what do we read of the events of Good Friday? This wonderful king, 
fully God, fully man, being led like a lamb to the slaughter, right? That's what you read when you read Matthew 27, what you'll see as we read through it today. The perfect, innocent Son of God being ridiculed and spat on and falsely convicted and put to death. Friends, what's going on here? Uh, If this guy really is the great king over God's kingdom, if he is the one who is supposed to bring about true and lasting justice in this world, what is going on? What, What is he doing being abused and dragged about like this? Well, friends, the next part of Matthew's account uh, fills us in on another character, and we're going to read that now, another character called Barabbas. Uh, and what happens with Barabbas, I think, gets right to the heart of what is going on with Jesus and what Easter can mean for you and for us. So we're going to pick the story up in verse 11. Haley will keep reading that for us. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crown to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Uh, friends, it's a bit of a longer reading, that one, than the first one. And if you have, uh, were given Bible on the way in, it may help to have that open as we kind of just briefly reflect on it again. But it is a bizarre interaction, isn't it, between Jesus and the Roman governor Pilate. You can kind of feel Pilate getting more and more worked up and frustrated as Jesus stays quiet. He doesn't answer the questions that are coming his way. And he's got these Jewish leaders in his ear trying to, say, uh, trying to convince him to uh, have Jesus killed. Uh, Pilate doesn't want to give in to the Jewish leaders. He wants to kind of maintain his power and authority over them. So he tries to think of a way out. And there's this custom that he has uh, uh, of releasing a prisoner once a year at this time. 
And it is, uh, it, it's a bizarre custom, it seems to me. It's kind of like a really twisted episode of Celebrity Survivor or something like that. Um, celebrity Criminal Survivor. Which famous criminal will you vote for to win the Don't Get Executed prize? You know, like uh, dial one for Barabbas. <laughs> uh, so Pilate, Pilate thinks he can get the crowd um, on, this, on his side by voting for Jesus and, rather than for Barabbas. Uh, you notice on the way through to um, this guy Barabbas, his, his first name is also Jesus. That's a common first name. So you've got Jesus, the one called the Messiah, versus Jesus Barabbas. Uh, and all of that, for Pilate, for him to sort of put these two together would have made sense. He doesn't want to give in to the Jewish leaders, so he wants them to choose Jesus. And uh, you can see why, because Jesus Barabbas, Barabbas was a bad guy. He was a bad dude, right? He... Uh, he was a leader in a brutal and bloody rebellion. Um, while Barabbas was known for his brutality, Jesus, well, how was, what was he known for by the crowds? He was known for his compassion and uh, his incredible miracles. Uh, it seems to me that almost certain, actually, that there would have been people in that crowd who had known people or perhaps themselves had been uh, touched by Jesus' miracles, had been healed, had been lifted up, freed. So you can see the, the picture, right? Jesus Barabbas, the, the you know, dis despicable scoundrel, the murderer, versus incredible Jesus, the one called the Christ. Uh, Pilate thinks they're going to let Jesus off, but of course they don't. As, you read, read, as we read through the story, the Jewish leaders, the chief priests and the elders, they whip the crowd up against Jesus uh, Jesus the Christ, and they get them to cry louder and louder for him to be crucified. And Pilate, despite the warning he gets from his wife, he does a lot of silly things in this uh, episode, and this is one of them, ignoring the message that comes to him from his wife to not touch this man. Despite that, he gives into the crowd and hands over Jesus to be crucified. It is a tragic story, isn't it? And friends, where I just want to uh, help us to reflect this morning is... How should we respond to this, this tragic story of incredible injustice? How should we respond and react to it? Certainly, it seems to me, we should, we should feel the injustice of it, right? We should feel the sorrow of this innocent man uh, suffering such barbaric and unfair treatment. Uh, but friends, we cannot... We must not just stop at feeling sorrow for this story as if it's just another great Shakespearean tragedy, right, that you kind of empathise with and then go about the rest of your life unaffected by. Uh, if we do that, we will miss the heart of what is going on here. We will miss that we're not just meant in this story, we're not just meant to identify with Jesus, we're actually meant to identify with Barabbas. We're meant to read this and see in Barabbas a picture of all of us. We're meant to see ourselves in this rebel who gets set free because Jesus dies in his place. We thought right at the start um, about the way in which we all long for justice, right? We long for justice. We long for the world to be put right. And the thought of a world without justice is tragic, but there's a problem, isn't there? 
because while the thought of a world without justice is tragic, if we're honest with ourselves, the thought of a world uh, where we really did get complete justice, well, that's not tragic. It's terrifying. The world of complete justice. It's terrifying because injustice and evil isn't just out there. It's in here. In every human heart, it is in us and it comes out of us. Have you ever had that moment where you think, whoa, where did that come from? You do something and you, it didn't come from anywhere. It came out of somewhere. It came out of what's in here. It's in all of us. It comes out when we're selfish, when we lose it, and some cruel comment just bursts out of our heart and through our lips. Uh, when we look on another person who God made and loves as an object of our lust or as something to manipulate, when we so easily lie to make ourselves look better. It's so easy, isn't it? Uh, when we minimise our own pride and self-centred ways. I mean, the list, uh, you know, I won't keep going. <laughs> they could go on and on. But, friends, it gets even worse. You see, in the Bible, all of those, those things... <laughs> Uh, are just symptoms of a much deeper brokenness, the ways in which we are broken in our relationship with each other and with the world around us. It's just an overflow of a really much deeper brokenness. Our relationships with each other are broken primarily because our relationship with God is broken, because we refuse to love and trust and obey him. And that brokenness, that rebellion against his rule, puts everything else out of kilter. And so, friends, you can see the dilemma, right? We long for justice, especially when we're victims of injustice. We long for it. But when the judge's hammer falls on you, you realise that you're not just a victim. We are, you, are, you are a victim of injustice. We all are. But none of us are just victims. We're all villains as well. Uh, rebels on death row and we can't stand under that hammer without being crushed by it and friends that is why the story of easter and the news that you are barabbas is the most wonderful news you will ever hear the most wonderful news you will ever hear a barabbas is a graphic picture of what is going on at the cross and do you see it friends jesus christ gives himself to die in the place of Jesus Barabbas, the guilty rebel. And this swap, this substitution of the guilty for the innocent is what Easter is all about. Jesus opens his arm and willingly offers to take your place under that hammer of justice, to stand under it and let it crush him for you instead of you. Uh, not like Barabbas for one crime you might have committed, uh, but for every thought, every selfish action, for your whole life of rebellion against God. God cares for justice, friends. He hates evil, and there will come a day when he will fully and finally bring it to an end. But how can he get rid of evil in the world without also getting rid of the people who cause it? without getting rid of you and me. 
Good Friday is the wonderful answer to that question. The answer that will give you life and joy if you'll entrust yourself to it. The astounding thing is not that God could make a world of justice, but that he'd make a world of justice and include you in it, include me in it, a world of perfect peace. But the only way in is if you become a Barabbas. The only way in is if you become a Barabbas, if you'll recognise that like Barabbas, you're a rebel under a death sentence, but that Jesus offers to take your place and give you new life if you turn to him and trust him and live with him as your king. And friends, if you haven't done that before, please do it today. Do it now. There's a great irony in this story. Um, I'm not, maybe some of you have a Bible that might tell you this. Uh, the name Barabbas, do you know what it means? It's an Aramaic word. It means son of the father. Son of the father. It's a subtle kind of thing, but the way Matthew writes his gospel, we're meant to see it. You see, Jesus was the real son of God the Father who gave his life for rebels, for Barabbases, to, to bring them into the family, to make them real sons, real daughters. Uh, daughters, sons and daughters of God, of the Heavenly Father. We, uh, friends, we're going to read the rest of the crucifixion story now. And as we do, please reflect on this. This is what Jesus went through willingly for you. This is what God the Father willingly gave his Son to go through for you. This is how much God loves you and wants you, Barabbas, to become and enter into his family, to become... He wants you as his son, as his daughter, to live in a, secure, a sure hope of a world of absolute justice and overflowing love. Friends, please take the opportunity to reflect on that as we go through the rest of this morning, as we re read the rest of the story and respond in song and prayer. Uh, we're going to continue reading now, though, from... Matthew 27, as we see where this story leads to. And Des will take us through that. Thanks, Des. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said, and spat on him and took a staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him.
Our dear loving Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We are together in this way coming to you today to consider your beloved Son. We look to you to give to us all fresh and deeper understanding of your great predetermined plan for the world, for mankind, through your Son, Jesus. We do well to realise that primarily he submitted willingly to your will, your set purposes and foreknowledge when he set his face toward Jerusalem. He, the perfect man, the spotless Lamb of God, went to the cross. There he took unto himself the judgment and penalty we deserve. And further, we actually put him there to suffer. We crucified him. Yet in those hours of agony, he bore our guilt and our condemnation. Father, in these moments, by your spirit, help us all to grasp what this means. We do deserve to die, to be separated from you forever. But the place of dereliction became his when he died our death. He, the divine Son of God, sinless, innocent, the only perfect human being, died in our place. How can we comprehend this, Father? We, in our frailty, weakness, sinfulness, pride, arrogance and rebellion, are drawn to look upon him who worked through it all alone on our behalf once and for all. Father, especially on this day, we bring before you the many thousands of people who are suffering under persecution because of your name. Many have been falsely condemned by corrupt laws. May each one be renewed in their faith, hope and trust, for you have brought them to that position of no condemnation by the power of the cross through Jesus. We worship you with wonder and praise for you planned before the foundation of the world for your son to be condemned for us. Your word tells us that Jesus, your son, went willingly to the cross to bring many sons to glory this is your amazing love, grace and mercy. Dear Father, with deep thankfulness we pray this prayer in your name. Amen. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, 
but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, he said. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels were crucified with him, also helped, heaped insults on him. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate these uh, wonderful things it causes us to come before you in humility but also in uh, in awe at you uh, we have all wronged you and sinned against you living self-centered lives indulging in all the good things you provide for us uh, often with scarcely a thought for you uh, the god who made them by nature we do reject your kind rule rebel against you and live however we please, in ways that are uh, often far um, from pleasing to you. Just like Barabbas, we are all guilty, whether uh, we admit it or not, and we should rightfully be condemned. Why should we be let off? Why should we be set free? It seems, Lord, um, wrong for the guilty to go free. We don't like seeing other people who've done wrong things go free. Uh, it just... It isn't just, um, let alone wrong things against you, a perfectly holy and good God. Justice must be done and you are perfectly just. We should get what our sin deserves. But thank you for what we've heard again today, that you are also perfectly loving, incredibly gracious and merciful. And so we do come in thankful awe that in your perfect wisdom, and love that you've made a way for us guilty sinners to be set free. In the cross of Jesus we see your justice and your mercy meet in the ultimate demonstration of your glory as your perfect sinless son of infinite worth took our place as our substitute and willingly bore our sin and guilt on himself and the punishment we deserved. So we thank you that justice was carried out but on Jesus instead of us what great love father what amazing amazing grace and so now we stand before you having trusted in Jesus we
can say that our debt is paid. It's paid in full by Jesus' precious, innocent blood shed for us so that we can be forgiven and so that we guilty ones can go free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed, free from sin's domination, free from condemnation, free from death, free to love you and serve you as your children and free to love and forgive others, even those who wrong us because we've been so loved and forgiven by you. So we thank you, Father, for this great love demonstrated fully in the cross of Christ. Thank you for your free gift of forgiveness and thank you for setting us free. We pray that you would, we would know these truths deeply, that we'd be shaped and changed by them and that we would live lives that are fully pleasing to you, that bring you glory. But we also pray that you'd help us share this life-giving news to those in our community who are still in denial of sin, their sin and guilt, and who haven't yet heard about your love and forgiveness in Jesus. Uh, we pray that this good news would be powerfully proclaimed throughout the world, that many more guilty sinners, people just like us, can be forgiven and know the joy the wonderful joy of being set free. We pray that in this way you'll receive all the glory, praise and honour that's due to your holy and magnificent name. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there, watching from a distance. 
they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons.